All right, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seeds to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's start here. This should be a very easy thing for you to do, maybe even jot some things down. But I want you to think about something or some multiple things that are very, very easy for you to spend your money on. Like you enjoy spending money on these things. And some of you would immediately think, I love spending money on dining out because then I don't have to cook and clean at home. And I love trying new things. Or maybe you do love getting the ingredients and getting the food and getting the drink and, and having friends over and that sort of thing. Um, some of you, your thing would be like clothes, shoes, accessories, like you can never have too many and you can go out and just effortlessly shop and purchase nice things to wear. Some of you are like, I'm not into stuff, I'm into experiences. So you're like concerts and movies and travel vacation, relaxation, those kinds of experiences. Others, you may be like, I'm really into my body and I go to the gym, climbing gym, lifting gym, aerobic gym, Orange Theory, whatever. It's just easy to spend money that way. Some of you would say, my what I love to spend money on is not a what, it's a who. Like I love to spend money on my kids and it's easy and it's effortless to spend money on my kids or a friend or a roommate or a spouse. So y'all have something in mind, easy, you enjoy it, and now I want you to do the same thing for a moment, but instead of money, I want you to substitute time. And you would say, it's easy, and in fact, I enjoy spending time doing certain things. And you can look up, and it's two or four or eight hours later, and you're like, where did the time go? It just flew by. So, so not study hall, but the opposite of study hall, what's your thing that it just happens easily and it's painless? And the reason I begin there is as we're going through the series on following Jesus, and we're in the middle of these 10 practices that Jesus himself taught, but also Jesus himself lived, this morning we come to the practice of generosity. And the reality is how we spend our time and how we spend our money is one of the clearest indicators of what we love, of what is most important to us. 
Um, you could show me someone's bank account, like the cash flow, kind of a, like a monthly P&L, and show me their schedule, their calendar, and I could pretty accurately tell you what that person's priorities are. Maybe even what they, in a sense, idolize or worship or serve. And if that sounds extreme, um, I'm, I'm paraphrasing Jesus himself in his most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. In the middle of that, he's actually teaching on this contrast between a hoarding and consumer mentality versus and uh, a generous mentality or a giving mentality or an investment mentality. And he says this, Matthew 6, 21, he says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And again, what he's pointing to is when he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be. He's talking about those things that you spend and invest in effortlessly because you love it, you treasure it, you enjoy it. And we all have those things. We want to identify those things. So as we talk about generosity this morning, I'm going to give you this one big idea. Again, we're thinking about, I don't want to just call myself a Christian and go on living as before, but I've added Jesus to my life and I get to go to heaven when I die. We are really all about saying, Jesus, you are Lord and Savior, but you're also teacher and rabbi. We want to walk so closely in your steps that your dust, as it were, gets all over us and people can recognize who we are as followers of Jesus because our lives mimic his and we embody his life and his love and these practices that we've been going through. Generosity is an interesting one because if you were like keyword generosity or generous and you go in there like, where does the word Jesus and generous show up? You're not going to find it. It's kind of like, do you think Jesus was kind? You, you, there's no verse that says Jesus was kind. The point is, it is you, you can read the stories of Jesus' life and his interaction with person after person after person and realize this is what kindness looks like. There's no proof text. There's no like nailer verse, like that says it all right there, but rather you look at the scope of his life and what you see is a generous life. And so your theme here this morning is that a Jesus-shaped generosity is the joyful investment of our resources and lives in the Lord's work and in the Lord's people. And I'm going to give you these five M's that we're going to go through here this morning. There's a mandate here that Jesus talks about. There's a mindset there's a model, there's a metaphor, and then there's a motivation. I think it's very important that we end with motivation of like, why would I do this stuff that Jesus is talking about? And before I launch into this, I want to note that I'm using the word generosity. I could use the word tithing, I could use the word giving, but I think generosity is actually the much bigger category that the Bible is really clear on. So we don't need to talk that much about, do you give one small percent of one particular resource that God has entrusted to you, and do you give that to the local church? That's, that is a tiny subset of having a generous life. A generous life is an attitude. Um, it, it is a whole lifestyle. It is, a, it is an outlook of just, this is how I choose to go through life, because this is how Jesus lived, and this is how Jesus called me to live. And when I say, this is how Jesus called me to live, I'm beginning with Number one, the mandate of generosity. Do you know in speaking to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter six, Jesus said, when 
you give to the needy. So he's talking to his disciples. It's his most, it's his most uh, impactful, I guess, concise sermon where he's telling his already disciples, here's the way of the kingdom. Here's the way of practicing Jesus. And he says, when you give to the needy. Not, not if, but when. In Luke 6.38, he gives this simple command, give. Now he goes on to give more specific, detailed instructions after that, but we can often skip over the fact that give is an imperative. He's saying give. It's a mandate. Jesus assumes that his followers will be generous people. By the way, two of the gospels record Jesus' teaching on tithing. And many of you may have this idea that you got somewhere, they're like, yeah, tithing, it was like that Old Testament thing, but Jesus abolished tithing. He, he rescinded it. Here's what he actually said. In talking to religious leaders, he said, you tithe on your herbs, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law, things like justice and mercy. And he says, these you ought to have done, justice and mercy, without neglecting the others. It's very different than abolishing or rescinding. And in his instruction to the New Testament church, Paul kind of runs with this idea of generosity. And he says in 2 Corinthians 9, which Deanna read for us this morning, he says, each one must give. And don't hear that as like you can or you should. He says, each one must give. Again, just assuming if you follow Jesus, you are a generous person. Then in 1 Timothy 6, and this one's important because Paul is mentoring. So he's, he's taken, like, he's sitting under Rabbi Jesus, as it were. You know, that whole time he goes off in the desert before he kicks off his church planning ministry, God's meeting with him and teaching him, getting up to speed on the gospel, all the stuff that he didn't know. Then he is going around planting churches, and he's mentoring other people now. He's passing on the teachings of the rabbi. That's what rabbinic teaching looks like. So he's apprenticing other people. He's mentoring other people. One of those was a man named Timothy, a younger man. And 1 Timothy is full of this instruction of like, hey, in Ephesus, this is how you'd need to minister in the local church. And one of the things he says there in chapter 6 is this. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. And you're like, cool, I'm not rich. And what you should understand is that by first century standards, if you are lower middle class America, you are way, way above where the average person was in the first century in the Greco-Roman world where Paul is preaching. His point is not you need to have enormous wealth compared to your peers before you start living a generous life. His point is simply you need to be generous and you need to share. And that generosity and sharing are indelible marks of those who follow King Jesus and trust God to provide that he's going to be generous to you. He's going to richly provide you to then give away to share with others to also enjoy. Okay, so I'll conclude this first point just very simply by saying you and I, if we're followers of Jesus, we must be generous people. And you say, must? And I quote this theologian who says this. He says, suppose a husband asks his wife, if he must kiss her good night, and her answer is, you must. 
but it's not that kind of must. And the point is, if you only give, if you're only generous with your time, with your energy, with your emotions, with your money, because you feel obligated to, you don't understand point two, which is the mindset of generosity. And I think this is as important as the fact. Like there, you, you probably all know people who really, truly are wealthy, and they give away what is a substantial sum of money, though not a substantial percent to them. It doesn't touch their standard of living. Do they care about the people that they're giving to? Like some of them, no. It's just maybe it's virtue signaling, maybe it's something else, but they're just, they're just doing something. The mindset the attitude with which we give biblically is as important as just what we do. So let's look at that for a moment, okay? Um, and I want you to begin again, like thinking about your own current patterns of giving away time and money, those two things in particular. You can lump in like energy, like your, your physical energy, your emotional energy to invest in a relationship or a hard conversation or something like that. But think through like, okay, what, what resources do I give? Or what resources am I sharing? Who are the recipients of my generosity? How much do you give? How often do you give? When do you give? Where do you give? Why do you give? How does it feel when you give? See, we're not called to give begrudgingly or out of obligation. Just like, okay, he just said we must. But it's not that kind of must. Because the first thing that I see Scripture teaching us about the mindset of generosity is give freely. Give freely. Do you know when the tabernacle was constructed and later they build this temple and then later under Ezra and Nehemiah, they rebuild the temple that had been torn down. And do you know who gave to that mission of building the temple or the tabernacle, to support the work of ministry amongst God's people? Do you know who gave to that? And the correct answer is anyone who wanted to. So from Exodus 35, it says, whoever was of a generous heart, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him, that's who gave. In these future temples that were built, the Bible explicitly says, in each case, these were free will offerings to the Lord. It wasn't a tax. Like we're coming around, you got to pay your, your head of household tax and how many kids do you have? Okay, you get this write-off and this counterbalance, but then we want this from you. It literally was just who wants to give freely because you want to give. And when they build this temple then, First Chronicles 29 says, then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly with a whole heart, they had freely offered to the Lord. And this carries over to the New Testament where, again, Paul's kind of running around planting all these churches and he, he's going to different churches. You may know this. And he's like, man, th this church over here, they're experiencing a famine and persecution. So as he travels, he's like, I see you all have an abundance, relatively speaking right now. And they're giving, hear me out, their giving was not a capital campaign for their church. And it wasn't so their preacher can have better sneakers. It was going to these other believers over here who are like struggling big time. So in 2 Corinthians, we read this. By the way, 8 and 9. We read a little bit of 9 this morning. You can back up to 8, and he's also talking about generosity in 8. And he says this about the church is giving away money to help people they didn't even know who were just simply brothers and sisters in Christ. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own free will, begging us 
earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That's a very different mindset than the American mindset. They're like, Paul, you tell us what's going on. And they're like, we don't have a lot, but they have nothing. Will you let us, will you make sure this gets to them? And he's like, I'll make sure. That's their attitude, giving freely. So I just just wonder, you may have even felt it this morning when someone starts talking about money, which is incredibly rare around here if you've been here for a year. It's probably the first time you've heard it. But how do you feel? Oh, here we go. You tense up a little bit. You start projecting all the things that you think onto the person who's saying something. Or do you feel like, you know, the church just cares about taking my stuff? Or do you think... We were at a, a fundraiser for our school last night, and they were like, hey, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I started talking about it, and they were like, give it, give it to them. I love it when pastors talk about generosity. I love it. And I, I was like, I know this one couple, and I was like, it's because you're incredibly generous. And so you're like, go, yes, tell everyone to be eager, to be free with your resources and just give stuff away to the Lord's people and to the Lord's work. That's give freely. Secondly, the mindset, give cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, we read this. Each one of you must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's like, wow, do, do I enjoy giving? I mean, like, extravagantly? Do I enjoy that? Am I like, wow, that was, that was fun, And I've seen many of you that actually do this. Like you've saved up, you give an extravagant like Christmas gift and you're excited about how the recipient receives that and is blessed by that. But it's that kind of feeling of like, do I enjoy this? Am I like, do I light up because I'm giving away? And if not, I think it probably comes down to one of three reasons and you may find yourself in one of these categories. I think apathy, selfishness, and anxiety suck the joy out of giving out of being a generous person. Apathy is just simply, I don't care, you know? And you ever been asked to give to something that you, it's like, that is not my thing. I just, I don't, it's not like a bad thing, I just don't care. And maybe you go ahead and you're like, well, I, you know, I know the person who's selling that to raise money for their kid's hockey team to go to Fargo, so here you go. And you don't enjoy it because you just don't care. And if you don't care about the Lord's work and you don't care about the Lord's people, you may contribute something, but you don't have a generous mindset. Secondly, I said selfishness or self-absorption. I mean, if you think your money and your time and your energy and your emotional energy are just for you to consume, then giving a portion of that away to other people hurts because now it's not being used on you. It's not making much of you. It's not meeting your needs and wants and then I think one I see very commonly in young people, this is no judgment, but it's not, it's not a consumer thing. It's not like I want all this stuff, but it's just, it's a worry. It's an anxiety. It's like, I'm not making that much money. You know, I might be in my first job out of high school or college, and I'm trying to figure out all the budgeting stuff, and it's hard to make ends meet. And, and then there are all these needs that I see that I could be generous to, but I'm, but I'm worried about, like, will God provide? And maybe you wouldn't state it exactly like that, but it's more of an anxiety around money and your time. And so if I were to flip that around, what brings you that joy? Well, the opposite of apathy is passion. The opposite of self-absorption is self-forgetfulness. And the opposite of worry is I trust God. God is sovereign. God's going to take care of me. And if you're a passionate person about the work of the Lord and the people of the Lord, 
And you are, instead of being self-absorbed, you're unselfish, you're selfless. And you're like, I, I trust God. I've been through highs and lows. Sometimes I feel that anxiety kind of welling up and, and God is always there. God is always faithful and I just trust him. And so it's easy to give and it's cheerful to give. And I enjoy giving because at the, at the end of the day, I trust God that when he calls me to do this and I see the need, I can give and I can be happy about it because he's gonna provide. All right, continuing with this mindset, here's a third principle, give systematically. Give systematically. Um, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, he says, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. So the first day of the week is a reference to Sunday, and there's been a shift because Jesus rose from the dead. So the Jewish Sabbath, the Saturday, has become Christian worship on Sunday. He's not mandating this. He's just saying that's just what the church practiced because Jesus walked out of his tomb on Sunday morning. So we're like, that's the day we worship. That's every Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And he's making a reference to the church then gathering together in this kind of thing with a corporate worship and study around God's word. And they're singing and they're saying prayers together and they're inviting their friends that don't know Jesus so they can introduce them to Jesus. And so he's like, okay, believers are coming together. Now he's back talking about this collection I mentioned earlier. This particular one is a famine in Jerusalem, the great famine. And he's like, we need to make a collection. So what he's telling people, the systematic piece of this is, notice he says, on the first day of every week, just set something aside and bring it with you. Okay, because what happens if you just don't, set it aside. Or we would say, in modern terms, create margin in your budget. You know, if you're not living with margin for your budget, and I know people like this, and then they're like, oh my word, I need an oil change. And I'm like, that's, that's 50 bucks. Oh, I don't have 50 bucks. Well, you, you make a lot of money. Well, I don't have 50 bucks because I didn't live with margin in my life. And he's like, so he's, he's teaching us, like, create margin, be thoughtful, set something aside. By the way, I would say almost no one that I, at least that I read, views this as a legalistic command of like, you have to tithe an offering every single Sunday. The point is, are you intentionally living and budgeting in such a way that there is that margin? There is that, it's not even excess if you think in biblically because it's always called first fruits. So it's kind of like off the top where it's like, I'm gonna create margin so God can have the first piece and then I'll figure out how to live off the rest with my time, with my money, with my energy, and all of those other resources that I have. By the way, as I say, give, give systematically. If you lean more charismatic, that's fine. But you may feel like, I, I don't want to give systematically because I just want God to kind of speak to me and let it be a spontaneous thing, right? And don't raise your hand, but anybody feel that way? I'm just like, it just feels like if I, if I kind of program it and I bring my checkbook or I set it up on auto pay that it's not really worship, but if, it, if just something just strikes me in the moment and I just stroke a generous check on the spot and I'm like, wow, that was a God thing. Well, first of all, obeying the spirit of 1 Corinthians 16, 2 would also be a God thing. Let's be clear about that. If you're obeying scripture, it's a God thing. But you know, there have been a ton of studies done. There are all these studies on generosity, and what it says time and time again, you go to people who are spontaneous givers and they're like, oh, a friend had this and I just stroked a check. Well, where do you give regularly? Well, nowhere, but I, but I, and it's like, okay, what percent of your income or how much do you think you give to charitable causes? And they find time and time again in these studies, the people who just give spontaneously are giving far less 
Not only than the people who give systematically, but they're giving far less than they think they're giving. They have an impression of themselves that they are giving a very large percent away. This is from Barna. The reality is, on average, an American evangelical Christian gives away about 2.5% of their income to all charitable causes combined. And get this, 84% of millennials give less than $50 a year to all charitable contributions combined. Okay? So the thing about giving systematically is like, this is so important to me to walk in the footsteps of my God and to be faithful. And again, he's not just talking about your money. He's, he's like, think about my schedule. Have I packed my schedule so full that when you call and you have a need, I don't have time for you? Because I could show you my schedule and I could defend the fact that I don't have time to meet with you. Or on the whole, am I living with like, I'm going to live systematically with, my, with all my resources so that I have leftover, commonly have leftover to share, to be generous with. That's that idea of giving systematically. And then, then one more, Jesus talked a lot about give discreetly. Okay, so like in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, you've probably heard these verses, many of you. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Um, by the way, that implies that if you're giving properly, you do have a reward from your Father, and I'll come back to that shortly. He says, thus, when you give, and again, notice he says, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I don't think he's being literal. I think he's exaggerating, okay? Because you're like, how would my left hand not know what my right hand is doing? And his point is, like, don't be showy about it. Don't be virtue signaling about, I showed up at that thing again, I gave away, you know, yesterday it's like, I gave away my Saturday morning. Did everybody, did everybody catch that? Did, like, did everybody notice? Okay, and people are like, you're so, you're so great, you're so awesome, you do so much for so many people. And you just, and Jesus is like, you just got the only reward you're going to get for that because that's what you wanted was the praise of men. His idea is just, just, do the opposite. Give secretly. Be discreet. Don't draw attention to yourself. Give because you know it honors God and it helps and encourages and lifts up other people. And if people find out, his point is not like give so secretly that like the bookkeeper from the church doesn't know either. So I give all cash, just huge stacks of cash. And that's fine. You can do that. I encourage that. Um, but we will put it to the Lord's work. I, I absolutely promise, okay? His point is just, it's not about you. Let, let God receive the glory and let other people receive joy and let you receive joy from seeing their joy and knowing that what you're doing is honoring God. That's the mindset. So, so we've got an action. We've got a mandate. Okay, we should be giving. We should be generous. Mindset, like let's be thinking right and trusting right as we do that. Now, thirdly, the model of generosity, and I actually want to give you two that Christians tend to follow. And I want to overview both real quick and then just say where I land personally, okay? First, there's an Old Testament model, and that's called tithing. 
you may know that the Torah or the Old Testament law, the Mosaic covenant, whatever you want to call it, required the Jews to tithe. And you may know that the word tithe means a tenth. So off the top, and they literally called it the first fruits off the top of your crops, off the top of your, you know, you've got 10 sheep and without discrimination, it's like one goes to the work of the Lord. That's in the Old Testament. Now, here's a few things you may not know. The tithe, number one, actually predated the law by at least 400 years. We see people in the Old, Coven, like in the Old Testament era, like Abraham and the patriarchs are tithing a tenth long before the law existed. So they're not just merely doing a legalistic thing. Like something about God and something about worshiping him and something about seeing his worthiness already had implanted this idea in them of like God is worthy of a percent to support his work, his priests, that sort of thing, okay? Um, a, a second thing you may not know is that the, the tithe is the way the Jews facilitated the worship of God in their midst. So they had a tribe that was the tribe of the priests making sacrifices and working at the temple. And then as there are synagogues popping up in these smaller and smaller towns that are getting further and further from Jerusalem, you know, it's like, how, how do those people who that priestly tribe had no land allotment, they had no inheritance, so how do they make their living? And the answer in part was the tithe. Everyone else was supporting them so they could serve, so they could pray and preach and teach and be rabbis in their synagogues and be free to do that without having to do, as Paul did, a tent maker, which is like, I work two jobs so that I can do ministry. One, one other thing you may not know is the Jews actually paid three tithes, not one. So they paid 10% every year. And then they paid off the remaining 90%, they paid another 10% every year. And then off the remaining 80%, well, it's less than 80%, but you, you know, you're, my math's getting off, but they paid another 10% every third year, and it added up to 21.7% of their income. So when you're like, I tithe, and it's like 25 bucks off your big salary, just know like the Jews in the Old Testament paid 21.7% right off the top to facilitate worship of the God that they believed in. Now, before you completely panic because I said 21.7%, I'll say I don't think this ceremonial law of the Jews is binding on the church today. Richard preached on this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the core value of whole life obedience. Like, what do we do with the Old Testament when it tells us something? And just a couple things right off the top. I mean, we don't live in a theocracy. We are not supporting a priestly tribe. We are not taking pilgrimages to a temple to eat dinner with the priest, okay? That's what these tithes paid for. So you can t take this collective sigh of like, okay, whew, Sounds like you're saying I'm not necessarily under the Old Testament tithe. No, you're not. I think 10% for me, for my wife, for my family is a helpful starting point. We're like, there's a reason it was in there for thousands of years before Jesus ever arrived on the scene. But let me talk to you about another model. Because we, we not only have the Old Testament model of tithing, we have the New Testament model of Jesus' own generosity. So A, as an Orthodox Jew, Jesus would have tithed. Period. He would have done what the old covenant said to do, or he would not have been a perfect man. He couldn't have died for our sins. So he practiced what the law required. But then this is where I say, I'm not even looking for a proof text or like the story. Read the gospels. Everywhere Jesus went, not only is he sharing his resources, I would say he's sharing his self. Okay? And I, his self, it's, it's himself. No, I mean 
his, he's sharing his everything, is, is my point. He's not just sharing a little bit of money, a little bit of time, a little bit of energy and people that are kind of wearing him down and exhausting sometimes. You see Jesus saying, here's a generous life. This is what it looks like to just give away my life for other people. So without imposing any law on any of you, would you say that we're following in the footsteps of Jesus' generous life, the total giving of himself when we're like, 2.5% is fine with me or my millennial $50 a year. I'm doing, I'm crushing it just like Jesus. And I'm not, I'm going to get to the end of this. I'm not trying to motivate you by guilt. I'm just saying, does that align with the teacher, the Lord that we say we follow? Does our life look anything like his? Do people see that generosity, not with us blowing the trumpet and saying, look at me, but just, I mean, the recipients of a private gift and be like, that was so like Jesus. Now, these last two points are intended to help you, and I'll go quickly. But point four is the metaphor of generosity. I think this metaphor is so important. It's right here in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. And I think it's important because many of you may think this way. You think of generosity as a zero-sum game. And you think of it as a zero-sum game because you think of your money and you think of your time as a zero-sum game. Like, either I can have my money for me or I lose you know, 10 cents on the dollar, and now I have 90 cents and you have 10 cents, but I've lost because you've gained. And in order for you to gain, I have to lose. Again, don't raise your hand, but do you think that way of like generosity? When I give, when I give to the church, when I give to my neighbor in need, when I give to a local charity that maybe even is important to me, it feels like that money's just gone. It's lost. Or do you feel like 2 Corinthians 9, 6, where Paul writes, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So in biblical terms, generosity is not a zero-sum game. Generosity is like sowing. I like vegetable and herb gardening, and it's like if I took one cherry tomato off my cherry tomato plant and I bury it in the ground, you know, Some of you would be like, well, you just lost that cherry tomato. You can't put it on your salad. You can't throw it in the pasta sauce. You just lost that cherry tomato. But the reality is, if you know gardening, there's seeds in that cherry tomato. And it's very likely if I treat that rotting corpse of a tiny cherry tomato correctly, it will blossom the next season. And I could have 100 or 500 cherry tomatoes. So you can think of it as a loss, or you can think of it as the biblical term would be as an investment. And it's incredible to me that over and over again, the scripture talks about generosity, not as just like, oh, it's such a sacrifice. Look at me. He says, you are making an investment in a greater harvest and a greater reward, which takes me to my last point, the motivation of generosity. And this kind of shocked some people I was talking to last night. I said, do you know the Bible over and over and over and over in every genre of literature is inspiring us? to be generous with our resources. Not just commanding us, but, but, in, but I think really inspiring us. And I was like, do you know what the number one motivation in scripture is? That the, the Bible uses this as a motivator for you to be generous. You be generous and you will reap a greater reward. So listen to this, if you don't believe me, 2 Corinthians 9 verse eight, and God is able to make 
all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And I mean, you can't miss it. It's piling up these superlatives of when you're a generous person and you're giving to the Lord's people and the Lord's work like Jesus himself did, God is going to like super abundantly provide. So we get to verse 11, 2 Corinthians 9, 11, you will be enriched in every way for all your generosity. So if words mean anything, God is saying to those who are extravagantly generous, I will give a surpassing greater reward. Luke 16, Jesus says it this way, verse 11, if then, this is saying it negatively, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give to you that which is your own? Well, implication, so if you are faithful with what he calls unrighteous wealth, because it can be a god, it can be an idol, if you are faithful, implication, then God entrusts you with the true riches. And I could stand up here and I could give you personal examples and historic examples of countless times where people really didn't have anything to give. And they're like, God, we're going through a really hard season by your providence. And yet, as an act of faith, because you asked us to do this, and still with joy somehow, we are going to give as you've asked us to give because someone has a greater need. And you never find those people begging bread. You find God finding ways to prosper them and say, now I know I can trust you. Because when you're given a resource, it's not like, ha ha, I can hoard it, or ha ha, I can consume it for me. It is, thank you. Part of the faithfulness here is stewarding that gift to do the right things with it in your own life, but then to be generous with it as a frame of reference for all of life. All right, some of you are like, I, I think you're taking this out of context preacher, and I'm too holy to think that God would ever motivate me with a greater, even financial, tangible reward, right? You sound like, uh, I don't know, Joel Osteen or something right now. And no one's ever said that of me. So, um, <laughs> so let's keep that streak going. Let me just read for you a few verses, okay? Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Proverbs 11, 24 through 25, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and the one who waters will himself be watered. Malachi 3.10, bring the full tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says Yahweh of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said in Luke 6, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put back into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And I think some of us live so tight-fistedly financially and with our schedule and we guard it all and we have like fear of missing out and we have fear of better options and we're just holding on to every moment of time and every scrap of every dollar of every paycheck because you think it's up to you to provide for you. And it's just not. 
all of these texts say the opposite. Just follow Jesus. Try to live like Jesus. And he's like, and I'm going to take care of you. And it's going to be better than you imagine. I think there's even one greater reward, and that is that God motivates us not only with a greater tangible reward or, or spiritual things. By the way, you notice that was in the true riches are not just more money. Because Jesus himself is like, lay up treasures in heaven where stuff doesn't get at it, doesn't get stolen, doesn't get taken away, doesn't get corrupted, doesn't corrupt you. But he's talking about the, the true riches are, are spiritual things and relationships and all these things that you're forming in your life as a more holistic and humanized person because we are humanized by living like Jesus lived. But on top of that greater reward, Jesus, God, motivates us with the grace of the gospel. And I want you to notice in 2 Corinthians 9, 13, Paul recognizes, he's like, your generosity, he's talking to the church, your generosity, their generosity flows from their confession of the gospel of Christ. What he's recognizing is the reason you're giving and the reason you're begging me earnestly for the joy of participating and giving to people who have less than you is because you understand the gospel, is what he's saying. What's that about? Well, one chapter earlier, in the context of giving, Paul writes this, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And then notice how he ends 2 Corinthians 9, this exclamation, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. The idea is not that you can't express it and be like, it's this. Um, the idea is I can't fully wrap my mind around it. God has given me a gift so extraordinary in his son Jesus that I can't, I can't explain it. And to try to kind of explain it, it, it loses something, and I don't get the full weight and glory of it. And, you know, what is he talking about? He's talking about this gift of leaving glory and wealth and comfort and safety and the Trinitarian relationship that's perfect and everything's right. And coming down, the Bible says, not only does he take on human flesh, and he's form, found in the form of a servant, that's what we talked about last week, but then he, he goes all the way in his generosity to the point of death on a cross. And Paul is preaching this everywhere he goes. And he's like, you don't have to appease the gods with your sacrifices and your gifts and your trinkets and cutting yourself and your prayers and all your, your liturgy that just is a bunch of nothing. He's like, God reached out to you in his son, Jesus. He came to us. He gave everything away. As I said, his very self, his life. He died on a cross. And because Jesus was generous, as Philippians says, to the point of death, he literally empties himself and impoverishes himself for us, then we have freedom. We have forgiveness. We have reconciliation with God. We are adopted. Because we're adopted, we get the inheritance. What's that inheritance like? Well, it's infinite and it's eternal and it's incorruptible. Sounds pretty good. And if you believed that by grace alone, God has given you generous access to something that is infinite, eternal, and incorruptible, 
then we wouldn't be sitting here having a conversation about like, so am I under the tithe or am I not? Because I'm cool with 2%. Look, if you're cool with 2%, that's between you and God. I'm just saying, I want to follow behind Jesus. I want to have like, and my wife knows this. I think my kids know this. Like, we want to have discussions about how, as we get older, more and more of our wealth and our time and energy is being invested in other people and not just being stored up for, well, I'll build this thing or do this thing for, for me and my enjoyment. So again, this theme, Jesus-shaped generosity is the joyful investment of our resources and lives in the Lord's work and the Lord's people.